0: At the end of each decade of the rosary, we pray, O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those most in need of mercy. We pray, save us from the fires of hell. Yet some people claim that hell is a medieval construction, an attempt of the Church to scare people into submission. Yet scripture is full of references to hell as well. We'll look at some of them in a moment. But even before we get to the scripture, there's an innate sense, something within us, that yearns for some ultimate justice in the world. There's many cases where we can think of things where justice doesn't seem to be served. Think of the case, for instance, of a mass murderer who takes his life and thus escapes being apprehended. Or the business executive or government official who embezzles funds, maybe runs off to another country and never gets caught. Or the spouse, parent, who severely neglects his or her duties to the family, perhaps even abandons his or her family seems to go on with having a fulfilled life, yet leaves behind him or her a wake of brokenness and hurt. A little closer to home, in a certain sense, with things going on in the church, the priest or bishop who sins grievously against chastity and who never seems to come to justice in this life. These are just some of the many sins that yearn for some kind of justice to be fulfilled doesn't say that there is, just because that yearning's there. But we might ask ourselves, is someone placed within us already, meaning God, this desire for ultimate justice? So let's come back to the reality of hell. The scripture in the Old Testament speaks of this reality. We saw it in our reading from Daniel today, where he talks about many risings. While I didn't have a chance to look this up, sometimes in Scripture, when the word many is used, it often refers to all. It's kind of a Hebraic um, way of of going. So it says, many will rise, some to life, others to eternal, um, to their eternal shame, basically. But Daniel is not the only place in the Old Testament. It is true that in the Old Testament, it's the later books where the reality of hell becomes more apparent or more explicit. By the way, why are we talking about hell today? I should should tell you this. Uh, Starting two weeks ago, I began speaking about what we call the last four things. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. So we've kind of descended today, but we'll go back up next week and we'll talk about the joys and glories of heaven. In the book of Judith, uh, in chapter 16, uh, 20 and following, the Lord Almighty speaks of taking revenge on the enemies of Israel. It says, For he will give fire and worms into their flesh, that they may burn and may feel forever that they cry with pain. According to the Book of Wisdom in the Old Testament, the fourth chapter, speaks of the godless shall be a reproach among the dead forever. They shall be in sorrow, and their memory shall perish. Jesus himself threatens sinners with the punishment of hell. He calls it Gehenna. Now, Gehenna was a place outside of the city of Jerusalem where garbage was burned. And so he takes that very vivid image of the stench and the burning and he applies it or he uses it to help people understand this other reality. And Jesus speaks in um, Matthew's Gospel of the hell of fire in a couple locations. The hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not extinguished in Mark. An everlasting fire back in Matthew, an unquenchable fire in both Matthew and Mark, a furnace of fire in Matthew, speaks of everlasting pain in Matthew, there will be darkness there in Matthew, wailing and gnashing of teeth both in Matthew and Luke. St. Paul attests that they who do not know God and do not obey the gospel shall suffer eternal punishment in destruction from the face of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Besides in the scriptures, we also see in the fathers, the earliest theologians, teachers of the faith, that they unanimously attest the reality of hell. According to St. Ignatius of Antioch, the person who corrupts the faith of God for which Jesus Christ was crucified by evil teaching will go into the unquenchable fire. And so will the person who listens to him. This brings out the importance of making sure that we're getting the, the doctrine, the faith, in its in its pure form, that we're not only just taking those things that we want and rejecting those things that we um, we, we don't like. That we're listening to the whole truth of Christ. What about the the nature of the punishment of hell? The teachers in kind of the teachers in the medieval period, this scholasticism, they said, okay, based on the the content of scripture and tradition, we can talk about these two types of pain. There's the pain of loss. This is the, uh, the pain of the loss of God. Our hearts were made for happiness. Our hearts were made to ultimately be satisfied in God. There are many things in this life that we get confused about what our ultimate happiness is. But in hell and in heaven, that barrier, that curtain is brought down. And we know with a clarity and without a doubt what we were made for, who we were made for. And we are utterly filled with joy, if in heaven or in hell, we're utterly distraught. You know, when there's something that you want, doesn't go your way, you're um, disgruntled, or uh, frustrated by it the people who are in hell are supremely frustrated at the very depths of their being so that's the first the pain of loss and then there's the pain of sense the pain of sense deals with the body it deals with the soul too a, a pain that is well before the body gets there the, the theologians talk about this spiritual fire The soul is, in a certain sense, imprisoned. It cannot move at its will. And it spiritually burns. But at the end of time, we receive our bodies, and our glory in heaven increases, or our suffering is then in our body in hell.
1: What are some of the other properties of
0: hell? Uh, This is also part of the teaching of faith that hell endures for eternity. There's no end. Now that may seem harsh to us, but we have to realize that we're looking at it merely from a human point of view. Eternity, it has to be that way because our will is in a certain sense frozen at our death. What we've been choosing, the choices we've been making, we can't go back on those once we die. They're either for God or against God. One other aspect that we need to speak about uh, hell is that the, what we call the inequality of punishment. It seems that it would be unfair or unjust that all would suffer in the same extent or in the same way. For instance, Jesus threatens the inhabitants of Chorazin and Bethsaida on account of their slowness to repent with a stricter judgment than the dwellers in Tyre and Sidon. Higher and Sidon were Gentile places. They hadn't received the same kind of revelation that the people of Chorazin and Bethsaida who were Israelites had. And so because they had received more, they would be judged more severely. Jesus also speaks about the scribes who are to be subject to a particularly strict judgment. So these are some of the things we know about hell. Now, again while this is not a pleasant topic, talking about health can nevertheless be very beneficial for our souls. Given our human nature, often we neglect those beneficial changes that we ought to make until we run the risk of losing our job, our health, or our relationships. And the same is certainly true for our soul. We often neglect some aspect of the moral and spiritual life until something happens to wake us up. So my hope today is that this homily in a some way might wake us out of where we're too comfortable. Certainly it wasn't easy for me working on this homily. It's a challenge too, because I too am a sinner. Now some of the saints and mystics were given an experience of hell. St. Teresa of Avila, for instance, found herself in what was she described as a dark, oppressive tunnel filled with stench and the suffocating presence of the evil. She sensed the total abandonment of God, but God sustained her through that so that she might have a deeper conversion herself and help others. However, I wish to speak to you about the vision of Saint Faustina Kowalska. Now, Saint Faustina, you may remember, is the scribe of mercy. Jesus said, you are my scribe of mercy. We have her statue up here in the sanctuary. You look at the right hand, she's the third statue over, she's holding a little picture. It's Jesus in front of a door, the divine mercy image in it. it says below it, Jesus, I trust him. We've got that image behind the papal flag on the wall over there next to the stations as well. There's no mercy, though, unless there is a need for it. And how can we realize our need of mercy unless we realize the extent of our sin and how we separate ourselves from God? So from Sister Faustina's diary, I, Sister Faustina Kowalska, by the order of God, have visited the abysses of hell so that I might tell souls about it and testify to its existence. The devils were full of hatred for me but they had to obey me at the command of God. What I have written is but a pale shadow of the things I saw. But I noticed one thing, that most of the souls there are those who disbelieved that there is a hell. Today I was led by an angel to the chasms of hell. It is a place of great torture. How awesomely large and extensive it is the kinds of tortures I saw, the first torture that constitutes hell is the loss of God. We already mentioned that, the pain of loss. The second is perpetual remorse of conscience. Think about it this way. I can be sorry that I'm in trouble, that I did something wrong, that I made a mistake without true repentance, without coming to God in sorrow. And that's what this is going on. There's no no repentance in hell. But there is a remorse that they have gotten caught, that that they messed up. It's a certain pride. The third is that one's condition will never change. The fourth is the fire that will penetrate the soul without destroying it. A terrible suffering, since it is a purely spiritual fire lit by God's anger. The fifth torture is continual darkness and a terrible suffocating smell. And despite the darkness, the devils and the souls of the damned see each other and all the evil, both of others and their own. The sixth torture is the constant company of Satan. And the seventh and final is the horrible despair, hatred of God, vile words, curses, and blasphemy. These are the tortures suffered by all the damned together, but that is not the end of the sufferings. There are special tortures destined for particular souls. These are the torments of the senses. Each soul undergoes terrible and indescribable sufferings related to the manner in which it has sinned. There are caverns and pits of torture where one form of agony differs from another. I would have died at the very sight of these tortures if the omnipotence of God had not supported me. Let the sinner know that he will be tortured throughout eternity in those senses which he made use of to sin. I am writing this at the command of God so that no soul may find an excuse by saying there is no hell or that nobody has ever been there and so no one can say what is like. How terribly souls suffer there. Consequently, I pray even more fervently for the conversion of sinners. I incessantly plead God's mercy upon them. O my Jesus, I would rather be in agony until the end of the world, amidst the greatest sufferings, than offend you by the least sin. I wish to go back to that prayer I mentioned at the beginning of the homily the Oh My Jesus Prayer. This prayer has its origin in the Marian apparitions at Fatima. It was July 13, 1917, when Our Lady appeared to three small shepherd children. She gave them a vision of hell, and she taught them to pray this prayer at the end of each decade of the rosary for sinners. Oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins. Save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to heaven especially those most in need of mercy. Now, if what I've said today has caused some alarm, discomfort, um, or even some fear in you, um, know that uh, in me it does as well, and that I've not enjoyed doing this, but that I needed to do this. We need to remember this fact, though. That God speaks to the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. He says, Have I pleasure in the death of the wicked, Says the Lord God, and not rather that they should turn from their ways and live. As much as we desire to be saved, as much as we desire to get to heaven, God desires that even more than we do. Listen to that again God desires your salvation even more than you do. And so we can have great confidence and trust. God desires to save you, but even though He created you without your will, without your decision, He won't redeem you. He won't save you without your helping. So in conclusion here, let us remember to pray for those who are far from God, those we hear about, those who have died and from all intents and purposes it seems they were completely estranged from God, that God's grace might have broken in in some invisible way into their hearts. Let us pray and let us amend our lives. At the end of each Hail Mary we say, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. Amen.